0: Hi, okay, now I can hear you. <laughs> how are you? Uh... <laughs> so my screen is going back and forth um, between you and I, I'm guessing because you're not staying for the whole time.
1: <laughs> um, and you're and you're on the gallery view?
0: I think so. Grid view, gallery view, where am I?
1: Uh, up the top right it should say view and then you click make sure it's on gallery
0: there we are you're so smart
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i just discovered something so that's
0: all. carol's right everybody needs a kevin <laughs> yeah, right. we, should, we should get t-shirts that say that
1: uh, all right okay so uh you just let me know when you're ready
0: okay Hi, everybody. All 13 of you that are here, we have a question and answer already. (laughs) Whoa. Hi. (laughs) Thank goodness it wasn't a tough one. I am so excited about the podcast today, not because Carol's not here, because that makes me feel sad, because she is my partner in crime. She is my fantabulous co-host, the jam to my toast that I could go on and on and on. But The whole month of June, I've got some amazing guests lined up um, from different um, professions and uh, different usages of FSM, but we're starting big today. We are starting with like a big name. So I'm going to let a few more people jump in here. Um, I'm glad that we have quite a few people because you're not going to want to miss this. And those of you that are here live, you are going to want to contain all your questions because I'm sure you're going to get... inspired and want to ask a lot of things so because I can take control of everything today we're going to have some designated Q&A time so you can keep putting everything in the chat putting everything in the q and I'll try to get to them all um, as we go so with no further delay um, Kevin I'll have you um, add our our secret panelist for today everybody. We have, where is he? I want him to just show up, <laughs> but there are people that are listening to the podcast and they're not watching it live. So here we have Dr. Ben Katholi.
1: How are you guys? How are you? Doing well.
0: I feel like we should have a sound effect that has like a round of applause right now. <laughs> it's so great no. to see you.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's- Fun to be here i'm sorry uh carol's not with us but uh
0: i know it's almost we'll like catch
1: up to her soon
0: it's like zoom couldn't have too many awesome people in the same amount of squares at the same time because it might explode so it's like you or her but i think what we'll do is when she's back from all the things it'd be great to have like a oh, a big panel And have everybody um here. So I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but would you mind kind of just giving a little introduction about yourself? And I've got um like four pages of questions to ask you. So (laughs) (laughs)
1: um so I'm Ben Catholi. I'm a pediatric uh physiatrist or physical medicine and rehab um in Chicago um at a rehab hospital here named Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, which is kind of a freestanding rehab hospital. Um and a neat place to be. Um, and so excited to be here and chat with you, Kim, and answer some people's questions and maybe we can, maybe we can't.
0: (laughs) Right. I know that's always, that's always the scary part is, um, there's so many questions that we just try our best to answer. It's just like when we have patients that come in with those super complex things, maybe we can make a dent in it. I think we can always make a dent in it. That's kind of what my philosophy is. So I've got a lot of, um, straightforward questions. I have some FSM questions. We're going to kind of just see where the flow takes us, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. How long have you been practicing with FSM or you've been utilizing it? Can you?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, I want to say I got trained in 2012 or 2014, somewhere in that range. i I finished training in 2010 and was in Cleveland for a number of years. Um, and I think probably two years after I started there. So somewhere in that range, I've lost track, but I want to say somewhere in that range.
0: Okay. Now it seems like everybody has a story of how they got into FSM. This isn't like dry needling. This isn't like, um, strength and conditioning training. So how did you hear about FSM? What what was your story that brought you to this?
1: Um, so it was really interesting. So I was super interested in acupuncture during training um, and was able to get trained after I came out of fellowship. Um, and in acupuncture, there's a lot of use on microcurrent to stimulate acupuncture points, but not frequency specific. Um, and I, since I work in PEDS, I started working with a lot of um trying to come up with non-invasive, you know, non-needle based approaches. And we were using kind of old school microcurrent, non-frequency specific um, and having a lot of luck, but there was just some patients that weren't responding and we weren't sure why. Um, And I started sort of exploring other things that we could be doing it. um, And I ran across Dr. McMakin, and then chatted with her at um, actually one of our rehab conferences. She was always at the um, APMNR conference and um, she actually treated me there. um, And I was like blown away because I had um, some issues that I was dealing with and she got rid of them in like a half hour Um, and they weren't nearly as complex as some people's but it definitely gave me an idea of what the possibilities were. And so then I went out like a week or two later to a training out in Hartford um, and uh, we got to chatting and, and kind of took off from there. And so been kind of close friends ever since.
0: There's so many things I want to touch on with that. It seems like so many of the people that do are doing well with FSM have that story of how they came across it. And either they came from, it's usually two different camps they were treated they were kind of interested and then carol gets her hands on them and treats them and you know proves it if that locks and cox data isn't enough to make you curious um getting a treatment especially when you have pain or you have something that you have that marker that you can experience pain reduction or inflammation or whatever or they come from like the super duper skeptical camp That was me and are trying to prove it wrong at every step and then keep getting results after results after results. And then you're like, okay, what gives? I have to learn more about this. Um, Did you so you were working with pediatrics when you got trained and so. Carol always brings your. I think your name comes up almost every second podcast. I know, I always get a little
1: embarrassed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many great stories that that we have with you. But the, the biggest one, I think your claim to fame is the record holder for using as many devices on somebody as possible. And I, I think she said it was seven.
1: <laughs> I think so. I feel like somebody has to beat that. I'm, I'm sure somebody has.
0: I think Carol's trying to right now, I think, um, with with the new clinic. And I want to kind of get back um, to devices and what you use. But since getting trained and since using it in your early years, because we have so many Um, people that are listening to the podcast and watching us on YouTube who are new to FSM. I think that's been one of the greatest um, gifts that we do every week is do these little micro webinars for people who are just learning. And for those of us that have been doing it for a while, I feel like FSM is one of those things that is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, whether it's using multiple devices or um, just different approaches. Can you talk a little bit about how your approach has changed with FSM if it has, and since you first started practicing with it until now?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, I really struggled with it early. Um, and I think a lot of people do, um, you know, I came home very gung ho and, um, Before I attended the training, I had gotten a custom care. Um, And then when I met Carol, she was like, oh, my gosh, that won't do for what you're doing. You need a precision care. Um, And I convinced um, my hospital back then to also purchase a precision care. Um, And I was, you know, I tried to get into the manual therapies right away, but um, I don't think that I really got an idea of what I was feeling right away so I, I think my early successes were certainly with programs um until I could understand how long to run stuff or what to treat um like maybe would people would get a couple minutes of benefit and that would wear off and I was really frustrated and I was like what am I doing wrong you know exactly um, yeah so I think you know and after we did it for about a year. We convinced Carol to come and teach it um, at our hospital. um and we had a really large group of people. Um, it was wonderful. The hospital was really supportive of of the treatment. um, and so we had a number of practitioners trained and kind of really took off there. Um and I think number one, being around other people who think differently, and I was really blessed to work with some wonderful therapists who have um, a really different mindset than I was in. Um, and I think that that helped me a lot because, you know, you, and, and then I was working with Dave Burke, who's also just, um, brilliant and really fun to work with. So we had a, we had a lot of fun there in Cleveland. Um, so I, I think actually my, as I've gotten further along, I've actually used less devices Um, I still use programs, but I try to start manually first to figure out what is working and what isn't. Um, But there's, or if there's something I'm really sure of, you know, we do programs to kind of save patients time. Um, But I, I think I've actually gone the other direction and tried to use less frequencies for longer And really tried to make the most. And I I sort of have a little game every year where I pick my favorite A channel and run with it and see as much as I can do with it.
0: You skipped ahead to question number seven. So, Uh um, but it's like anything, I I have this like grand plan of how the hour is going to go and Carol just like blows everything up as I go. And then I'm just running behind her picking (laughs) (laughs) picking up the pieces. So we'll do the same. This is actually more comfortable for me because this is what I'm used to so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and the first podcast that Carol and I did so Carol and I were doing these zoom calls throughout the pandemic because we both were bored and sitting at home Mm -hmm. and if I could be a professional student I would be I love learning and what greater person to learn from than? oh yeah her herself to get her by myself and to zoom it. And then Kevin's like, you guys need to do the podcast. This is hilarious. I'm like, it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be informative and it's supposed to be inspiring. But, um, one of the first questions I asked her was, okay, you're on a remote Island and you're only allowed to bring five, A channels with you and five B channels. Um, so I'm gonna ask you, you you said every year you have a favorite A channel. I'm gonna let you pick five um for okay. 2022.
1: All right. So we all love 40. We all love 40. We all love 13. Um the last two years, my favorites have been 94 and 321. Um and and then this past year, my number five would be 49. Um yes. It. I I think I've seen the most benefit in terms of making stuff stick. Um, so I'll run it for really extended periods of time. Sometimes while I'm doing something else, I'll run 49 for a half hour. Wow. Um, So,
0: um, I'll get you to, to say the, um, the definition. So we have some people that are listening that are not so versed with numbers. So 49 is vitality, increasing the vitality to the tissue. Yes. So, So, um, I wonder if 49 could be our new time dependent, um, frequency. Cause I've also heard that from numerous people running it for an extended amount of time on the specific tissue. Um,
1: mm-hmm. and I, so, I think for the right tissues, it has its benefit and other ones don't need it as long.
0: Right. Right.
1: At least that's, but I, everybody's population is so different that, you know, um, I'm always interested to hear other people's experiences too. So.
0: Right. Somebody on the our FSM practitioner page on Facebook wrote, um, "Has anybody else experienced forty nine as being yummy?" And I was like, "Yes, it is. That's it's a great yummy. Definition. That is such a good definition. A definition." There's some frequencies that give us that profound um, feeling as practitioners when we're working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, 13, because I do so much manual therapy and so much exercise therapy, I fell in love with 13 right away because it was always giving me something. I could feel the mm-hmm. tissue give, I could hear pops, I could get range of motion increased. I could even get strength increases running 13. Um, but interesting with um, 94 and 321, what tissue, or before I go there, give me your five favorite B tissues or B channels that you would
1: use your tissue types. Okay. Oh. Um, It's harder, I know. So so mine, because I, in my population, I, so my practice is kind of a combination of um, inpatient rehab patients, and that's kind of brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, post-operative patients, kind of a wide range of things. Um, So I do a lot of CNS focus in my inpatient and outpatient practice. And um, a lot of them have had significant trauma Um, and so that really needs to be taken out of those tissues before anything else will work. Um, I feel like it's also a safe way to approach central nervous system frequencies um, because you don't know whether the answer is to boost or decrease activity to certain tissues. And 94 is sort of a safe toe in the water. I haven't had it do anything negative, but I've certainly seen a lot of benefit to it. Um, and it's kind of a safe way to approach different structures without making a decision whether that is over or underactive.
0: Interesting. And do, you don't use you don't use two ninety four?
1: Maybe that needs to be my pro my one next year. I do use it. It's in our programs. I just tend to run that one. I run 94 longer. You Go know, I, I you know, I, I um I couldn't separate the two on which one is it. I just noticed a lot of benefit to 94. So that one is one that I ran with, but Great. I tend to sort of jump around a lot and and I'll have you're know, like, why was I ignoring this for years, you know?
0: yeah I also go back and forth with that whole um what why am I not using this why did I forget this one three twenty one is what we use for um paralysis, and I think mm-hmm. the more I practice with f s m the more I want to go back in the history and learn more about why the list has the descriptions with the verbiage that it does, and I am you know, we we know that hammer 18 hemorrhage doesn't mean somebody's bleeding out, you know, if somebody is hemorrhaging, we're not hooking them up to our custom care, we're calling 911. Same thing with paralysis. We don't have to necessarily have paralysis for us to start thinking about it. I think it's a good one. Something is stuck, something's not moving.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's what paralysis is, it's that it's not moving. Um, so going to now your, your tissue types, you were saying that you do a lot with central nervous system. So I'm assuming spinal cord is going to be number one, 10.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. What else do you love?
1: Um, so Dave Burke got me hooked on basal ganglia. Um, he sort of broke the mold with that and wrote a program a number of years ago and kind of started with that. Um, but I, so we see a lot of patients with movement disorders, cerebral palsy, you know, any, any sort of range of various central nervous system involvement. Um, and I think that that has been a really valid frequency for a lot of different types of injuries, but not everything, but it, um, for the types of, um, Patients that we see, it, it certainly has been one of my favorites. Um, I think so, spinal cord, basal ganglia. Um we do a lot with the motor and sensory cortex, especially in patients with hemiplegia um, who have differences side to side in sensation or movement. Um, sometimes stuff is really too complicated, and I can't figure out where to start exactly. Um and for you know, I, I think Carol, as we started to work with her, I really gained an appreciation for um, kind of vestibular system and also cerebellum. So we've been doing a lot more with um, vestibular input and cerebellar input and how to balance that. But I, I, I've i been trying to keep it as simple as I can. Um, and And but it's amazing when you figure out one that really fits the patient's case and and is benefit, beneficial to them. Um, so we, we use some other ones. I would say those are my main ones for central nervous system. I, and I guess if you count dura and other stuff, but I, if I'm thinking of sort of strictly central nervous system tissue, those are my ones that I probably treat the most commonly.
0: Right. Um, are you a stickies guy? Are you a wraps guy? Are you a uh, magnetic converter guy?
1: Kind of all of the above. Um, I think for our kids who have sensory issues, you know, that have um, maybe, you know, just not love any sort of sensory stim, the magnetic converters have been a real blessing. Um, Or for patients that are in a cast and you can't put stickers where their injury is. Right. um, That's been great. I, I'm i like you. I like to have people up moving for some certain cases. And so obviously we use a lot of stickers for that. Um, or if we have patients up in therapy and I'm working with them with the therapists, um, I like to use stickers. Um, but if it's, you know, if we are going to use a number of units, then towels are obviously the go-to and, they, and they're so much more comfortable.
0: Right. Do you, um, you ever so use I, the leads right in water? Do you ever do anything with, um,
1: I, Um, Outside of the hospital, yes. (laughs) Um, I don't really have a setting at the hospital where I could do that. I guess I could like drop leads in the pool, but that might not go well. So, um, so yeah, I don't have a setting at the hospital where I really utilize that, but I have done it outside of the hospital setting and, you know, definitely see benefit to it. Do your
0: patients just receive FFM therapy in the clinic? Do you rent your units out? And does anybody take anything home with them or? Um,
1: So the, I I would say most hospitals, if I understand it correctly and somebody jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but in general, we can't um, really rent stuff easily. Um, So in general, we're treating in the clinic. um, If people have trouble, making it down. I try to sort of figure out a good treatment plan and then get them in with a practitioner that's closer to their house. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, most of my stuff is either in clinic or, um, seeing if a therapist can assist and, um, you know, I have some great therapists that I work with that, um, are getting really experienced and, um, are able to, you know, cause they're seeing the patients weekly. And I, I often have trouble seeing people as often as I would like to. Um and so that's I would say a downfall of being in a hospital setting as you have other patients and you can't just do FSM. So
0: that's sad. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do that with everybody. Um somebody had just jumped in a question. I want to try to get it before we get swamped. Um, Kathy had asked what are your favorite B channels with 49?
1: Um, I would say my top favorites are actually 396 nerve. Um, so, and this has been kind of a, a number of patients with kind of peripheral nerve injuries, but um, so we see some patients who had various trauma or um, brachial plexus injuries. I work in a brachial plexus clinic too. Um, and people will have you know, as the nerve gets injured, it tends to regrow proximal to distal, Mm -hmm. um, very slowly around a millimeter a day, um, which is not quick. Um, and the way that we'll track that is either with, you know, muscle movement, but if there's sensory involvement, um, it seems like when I run 49 and 396, um, you can, during the session track, the sensation improving down the length of the leg, um, which is super cool. So it's like you're literally with a pen marking on their leg and every five minutes it's changing. So it really tells you it's doing something. Absolutely. And it sticks. And it sticks. That's, that, I think that that was the really most interesting thing was, is that it really, there's a, always a little bit of a wearing off effect, but in, in general, it really improves sensation. So that one is, I'm still wrapping my head around on what it's doing but
0: there was my there was my next question so if 40 if increasing the vitality which is different than 81 increasing the secretions right I think 81 yep. gets um a lot of love and a lot of attention it's just like 40 right it's like our headliner um but especially when you look back at like a lot of Um, Dr. McMickan's old slides, 81, Mm -hmm. 49, they were always used together. Um, They're in a lot of like older literature together. Um, So I'm wondering what the difference is between increasing the secretions and increasing the vitality. Like what, what happens with 81 that doesn't happen with 49?
1: I, yeah, I, I sort of tried to wait out in my head and I, um I feel like when we run 8110 in the spine, so 10 the spinal cord, um, I feel like there's a temporary reconnection of those reflexes that sort of are uh potentiated in the spinal cord, and you know you see that temporary relief of spasticity. Um and I feel like 4910 doesn't relieve that spasticity as much, but it tends to improve the firing of those nerve roots. Um, We use it a lot. I use it a lot on different nerve roots too. So I I really like the vertebral levels. Um, And when we do that, we see improved firing of those muscle groups. Um, For instance, like we had a patient that I was working with two weeks ago who um, had Um, injury had some myelopathy and had some disc injuries and, you know, doing that with the nerve roots really improved firing of those muscle groups in the trap and the deltoid and the bicep. Um, and you can feel the muscle bulk differently than you can with 81, which is funky. I feel like sometimes 81 is too much. It's great, but I feel like it has, uh, if you run it too long, you can overdo it and there's certainly tissues you have to avoid with it. Um, and I haven't had that with 49 as much. Sometimes it just doesn't do anything, but I'm, I'm still playing with what it's best for, but definitely where I see atrophy, I really like 49.
0: Agreed. Um, you kind of hit the, you've been circumventing with one main topic. That was what really got me was, um, When you start getting successes in your practice, right? You almost expect it. You want that miracle patient after patient after patient, you want to fix them in one treatment and you want that effect to last for the rest of their life. And when that doesn't happen, you're just like, well, where did I fail? That's where I started doing the work with kind of like the neural recruitment with doing the exercise therapy, tying the connection after we broke apart range of motion was, not only teaching the body that it was okay to move, but it was safe to move. It was effective to move and working with 49 did really help with that component of, especially when they're in that pain-free range of increasing the vitality to the nerve and the fascia. And I would use it a little bit with the nerve sheath. That's one frequency of mine that I have this love hate with. I feel like it should do more and it never really does. So maybe i need to run it longer. Um, I don't know. Um, so that's going to kind of segue me into when you were, how do you choose a frequency besides from using logic and science and what you are, when you go through the history, what you know is true, how do you go about choosing the frequencies after that?
1: Um, so I think, Some injuries make sense and many don't. And I'm frequently, like a lot of other people, it doesn't occur to me till later what I should have done. I think I get a lot from what patients tell me and the words they use. Um, And I feel like there's some people that kind of communicate exactly what you need and some you really have to feel it out. Um, so I, I think from a variety of ways, I think, um, I'm really big on physical exam and trying to figure out, you know, we're trying to localize things, but, um, there's obviously plenty of times where we were where we can't do that, where it doesn't make sense. Um, and sometimes, you know, trying to think of a good rationale, but I, I, I would say I, you know, I try to start with the basics and make sense of stuff. And, um, sometimes people say something that just really tweaks your interest. And you're like, that totally makes sense. This is related to a past illness you had, or, you know, you re-examine them. Um, cause they mentioned, Oh, I forgot. I had this X-ray that showed X, Y, and Z. um, so I, I I would say most of my info comes from listening. Um, I try to be a good listener. I can't always claim to be, but I'm doing my best.
0: Don't you think that this modality forces that upon you? I mean, I, I grew up my whole childhood hearing from my father, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I never really got that until, um, I think you have this tool in your toolbox that forces you to be a detective and ask really open-ended questions because it's not just a yes or no. You need to hear more about the history and then what happened and then what happened. And, um, and I, I, I agree. I think the patients have a way of, um, force feeding you the frequencies. If you just really sit and listen, they will like literally tell you the words that you need to hear, you are like, wait a minute, I have a frequency for that. So between my laminate that I can't get rid of, I love my buddy. I love the app where I can just punch it in. If I need to, there is just something so magical about going up and down that list of frequencies and, um, searching for and listening to what your patients are telling you. Um, do you, okay. So you've got a patient, they're telling you what, they need, you've got your hypothesis in your head of what you're going to try. Then what are you looking at? I mean, obviously pain reduction is a huge thing that we're all looking for as practitioners range of motion. Um, but then what are you, are you a smush guy? Do you feel for smush? Uh,
1: Yeah. So I, I think the, a lot of the patients I work with, you know, sometimes I think we all want that sort of dramatic, like people just pass out and go smush and, you know, I, I feel like that is um, less common, but I, I definitely have, you know, kind of by the grace of being able to work with a lot of great therapists who have good manual skills um, have learned a lot more about palpation. And then, um, so I'm big on kind of textural changes Temperature changes, you know. I, I think patients will tell us how they're feeling, um, but I don't think it's relaxing to sit there and say, "Do you feel better? Do you feel better? Do you feel better?" You know, <laughs> um, because sometimes that takes a little bit. Um, but I think if you're feeling textural changes, you know, you're onto something, and it tells you, you know, what does this feel like? Does this feel like shortening? Does this feel like scarring? Does this feel like fibrosis? Does this feel swollen? Um, what else is going on with their body that can lead you along a different path? Um, so I, I think I get a lot of feedback from uh, verbally, but I get a lot texturally too, and I think that that is something that took me a long time to. I'm always learning from my patients, and I feel like you know, you're there's always something you're missing, and um, I work with a lot of neat residents who have neat manual skills too, um, so. And, you know, when when we have practitioners come to do practicums with us, they all have some really neat skill sets that I've never heard of. And and I'm like, oh, please tell me about that. Um, So I definitely I I think sometimes I get that, you know, overall smush, but I feel a lot at the tissues we're treating. Um, And, you know, I think working in a hospital setting, we have access to some additional tools. Like we've been able to ultrasound stuff and see changes on it that I wouldn't be able to see if I was, um, without it, you know, but I don't rely on that always, but it's neat to see what's happening to different tissues as you treat them.
0: Absolutely. Um, going back to working with kids, um, Do you see anything with their behavioral changes that can lead you into the direction that you might be on the right track?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think definitely with kids, sometimes you get the dude effect as Carol calls it. Um, I think they're more sensitive and you have, you know, they don't need as heavy handed approach as a heavy handed an approach. Um, You know, when we're treating really young Young kids who aren't verbal yet, um, you know, you really have to go with, you know, are they calmer? Are they allowing you to move things easier? You know, whatever we're working on, whether it's torticollis or, um, you know, whatever injury or um, condition it is, I, you have to go a lot with how they're behaving, um, you know, and if they're older and able to tell you what they're feeling or answer questions, but also, some of them are pretty nervous about what's happening you know you usually you go to the doctor's office for shots and we have to say there's no none of that happening here
0: right what do you mean i get a blanket and a pillow and you have some exactly, light yeah. <laughs> and i get to just lie here and feel good i think too um i have three teenagers of my own i see a lot of teenage athletes um now which is great i love the fact that um parents are open to um, different modalities as opposed to um, what we've been used to. But I think um, with teenagers and kids, as opposed to adults who haven't experienced the effects of alcohol or narcotics, um, they, when they start feeling that due to effect, sometimes they, they're a little alarmed because they're just kind of feeling this. Um, so I try to talk to them. I try to get them to tell me a story about something or you know, just they're like, I'm feeling really tired. Is is that normal? I'm like, that's perfectly normal. You should totally just close your eyes and enjoy it. It's and a good then, thing. Yeah, and anytime you can get a teenager to sleep, I think is uh, a good thing as well. Um, I want to shift gears here a little bit. Um, for those of I think a lot of people that are listening are practitioners, um, but I want to talk about the case report that you, you gave us with the small fiber. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, I'm not asking you to redo your, um, your case report right now, but if you could just share a little bit about that, I mean, it was, it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I felt I, uh, I really dashed through that. So <laughs>
0: <I know. laughs> no. yeah, we
1: were, we were talking about trying to get a uh, sort of an expanded version of it. Um, with a little more detail on kind of the why and the who, what, when, where, why. Um, right. um, but I think the gist of it, and I, I was trying to make with it is that, um, you know, I, I think that there there's been so many neat frequencies people are sort of identifying. And I think all of us, we don't know what we're missing until somebody presents it to us. Um, And there's a lot of things that people are teaching me that I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this forever? Um, And the small fiber um, neuropathies, I I think I've gained a greater appreciation of, I didn't have a lot of exposure to it in training. Um, And it's certainly not a primary part of my practice but, um, can
0: can you also just go back because we do have some people who are not trained kind of what um, small fiber neuropathy is.
1: Sure. So, um, there are multiple types of nerve fibers in a nerve bundle. Um, you know, some are related to motor control. Um, some relay, um, kind of sensory input Um, you know, to kind of help you feel what you're doing with your hands, for instance. Um, And some are related to kind of autonomic control or vibration. Um, And so some of some fibers that you really want to fire quickly are myelinated. Um, And there are some unmyelinated and kind of differently myelinated small fibers. Um, They carry sensation at a much slower rate. Um, and they can present differently. Um, you know, if you injure a nerve, you know, a major nerve, um, usually it's pretty apparent, you know, there's kind of symptoms of this shooting pain that any kind of provider would say, I, boy, that sounds like nerve pain. Um, but, you know, I, I think the that's been one of the most interesting things with just FSM is under. Seeing all the nerve injuries I was missing, you know, because you don't really view something as a nerve injury. It's stiff, it's something else, and you realize that they're really common. Um, and I think a good example of small fiber neuropathy that most people have seen is in um, diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in diabetes, you know, Carol has written some programs for um, diabetic neuropathy um, but in that the arteries are very small capillaries are gradually damaged by the effects of elevated glucose and then since those capillaries support the nerve fibers um, people have sensory loss, um, kind of in a length dependent sense, meaning it happens you know at the fingertips or the toes um, and so that's a good example of a small fiber neuropathy. Um, the populations we see it in in other in kind of pediatric bricks, um, you know, we see it in um, um, after chemotherapy. Um, I haven't tackled that one entirely yet, um, and we see it in some autoimmune conditions too. Um, I think the thing that I wanted to kind of put out there in the talk that we did um, at the conference was just how prevalent um, small fiber neuropathies are um, and how they can kind of masquerade as other diagnoses, Um, you know, and that there's been a couple papers showing the prevalence in um, things like fibromyalgia or complex regional pain syndrome um, now, that doesn't mean that all of those syndromes are small fiber neuropathy patients, but it's something that if you're looking for it, um, I, I think it's an additional thing to be keeping your differential. Um, but it, it's made me kind of make more referrals to our neuromuscular specialists at um, an associated children's hospital to um you know, if we are suspecting it to kind of get it fully worked up, because I don't have the tools or the wherewithal to sort of do all the investigations for it. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to your physical exam, kind of looking at temperature changes, looking at vibration and sensation, checking, looking at people's nail beds. Those can be clues of neuropathies of any type. Um, we look at changes on the tongue. Um, Those can be symptoms of kind of like folate deficiency. Um, So there's, so I kind of ran around in circles there, but I I think the point we were trying to make with the talk was that, um, you know, it's something else that here's this new frequency that, um, you know, investigational, but I think definitely seeing some benefit in some patients. Um, but I think it's an, kind of a work in progress because also needing to find patients who have that diagnosis and, um, are able to be treated frequently enough to measure a benefit. Um, so, you know, we have a number of cases where we've had benefit, um, and we've had some failures just like every other condition where you think you, you're like, I know what I'm going to do here. And, it,
0: you know, like, just kidding.
1: <laughs> there's other plans. Yeah. So, um, so can you it, it, can you
0: can you talk about which frequencies you did run in that particular case?
1: Um, oh gosh, I have to look them up because I never I remember them off the top of my head. Um, right. So. Um, That's okay. I put you on yeah. the spot there. No, um, it's okay.
0: Um, people people can access your talk. Um, I believe yeah. it's still on the on the website. It was just um, I remember when they had live streamed it. I was like, is it just me? Is my brain full? Did that go by really fast? What did he just say? <laughs> like yeah, I was... That
1: was a, that was a dash for the finish line. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to put everybody behind.
0: No, we were, we were, I think we were like a day and a half behind at that point. Um, but when, when you're able to make an impact with nerve pain, I mean, if you just think how many people have nerve pain, Um, and like you said, just the ability now to look at it through some different lenses, to try some different diagnostics, um, things that are not expensive, things that you can do in the clinic. Like you were just saying, looking at someone's nail beds, um, how many times are we really evaluating temperature changes? Are we using our pinwheel? Are we using, um, reflexes? And to me, I think now, because I'm teaching FSM, um, I always get the person in the class. It's like, well, do you have a paper on that? Is this published? Where's, where's this? And I'm like, how about the 432 patients that we got better? Um, and I think if we're at least charting in the right way, so we do have some data to show that we're making changes in, you know, these objective measures, I think we're definitely, um, on the right track that way. Um, I'm going to, right. Um, I'm going to switch gears again because it can't always be about science and FSM when we do these talks. So I'm going to ask you um, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now in this profession, what would you be doing?
1: Oh, wow. Um, so I started off in school um, wanting to be a veterinarian. Um, and then I think. Um, I'm not sure what sort of made me switch gears, but it was kind of one of those things that was just sort of like a natural progression. But, um, I, I think if I was in another life or, you know, I think you always get the question of, would you do it all over again? And I, you know, I, I think I would, I mean, I really enjoy what I do. Um, but I do enjoy teaching a lot. I, I think I have very quickly realized over the years that I'm, have a lot to learn about teaching especially when you work with carol who's just you know an incredible teacher um um, you know either that or in a dream job maybe uh musician that's so
0: (laughs) funny because kevin wrote in the chat (laughs) rock (laughs) star and i i think it's really funny that you said veterinarian um because i tried i've applied to um I can't even remember how many vet schools. Cause that's all I wanted to do as a child. I didn't get into any of them. Um, I took a gap year, A woe was me gap year, got into a car accident and, um, manual therapy was the thing that fixed me. And that's what sparked my interest to follow down this path. So I'm glad both of us aren't working with animals. Um, and we're working with people, <laughs> but rockstar between, um, you and Kevin, I think that could also be, a uh, another one. Do you have a creative outlet? What do you do for fun? What do you, what inspires you?
1: Um, I definitely enjoy playing music. Um, uh, enjoy kind of spending time outside with my family, um, fishing, kind of reading. I love reading. Um, kind of, those are probably my favorite outlets.
0: What books are you reading? Right. And what are your favorite books?
1: Oh, what type of
0: books? I don't want to make you, I don't want to put you on the spot your favorite book of all
1: oh, time. Oh no, but. I I read kind of everything. So, um I I'll read every, you know, probably one of my favorite, probably two of my favorite authors are either Douglas Adams or Tom Robbins. Um I like stuff a little bit goofy. Um and but uh I I'll also read like YA and you know, science fiction. I'll I'll read just about everything. I, I try to, I like to read to relax. So I don't tend to steer towards really dramatic or like kind of tearjerkers. Um, there's,
0: there's enough of that in your profession, I'm sure. So
1: <laughs> Kevin says, always carry your towel. <laughs> That's the best quote.
0: Um, Leaf is asking what instrument do you play?
1: Um, so I play guitar primarily and a little bit of bass. And then actually we, um, just joined a community marching band. My whole family did here. So I hadn't touched my trombone and since the mid to late nineties, so it sounded terrible, but (laughs) it's a work in progress.
0: That's amazing. That's great. Um, I was interviewed last year on a podcast and, um, somebody had asked me if there was one word that would be like our family motto or our personal or my own personal motto, what that word would be.
1: Mm. Family motto. Oh boy.
0: It's a tough one.
1: Um, I guess we're going back to douglas adams would say don't panic right um <laughs> i think my motto for the past couple years has been um and i'm struggling to remember who said it but it they said live in, live in peace in a time of stress mm. it's been um, um and um kind of one of the other ones was uh the world knows you nothing. It was here first. So try to be present and sort of remind that there's a lot of people before you and a lot of people after you, and you're here to kind of do your own thing. Um, what about yours?
0: Well, the person that had interviewed me only let me pick one word. Um, and I use the word grind. Um, and it, it's, we try to teach our kids that this, there's nothing wrong with the struggle. The struggle is the beautiful part of any journey and you don't realize it when you're in it, but trying to, and it, you know, it's so cliche, but being comfortable in the uncomfortable is where all the magic and growth happens. So I try to take that into my practice with my athletes that I work with. Um, of course, I, you know, the majority of the people that I work with are, I'm lucky they're healthy, they're active. I'm trying to get them, you know, a fraction of a second faster or stronger or whatever, but there still is a struggle. There still is a grind that they have to go through. And I think some people, and I don't want to like say it's the millennials right now, but you know, some people who have had, um, a little bit of an easier path, we all hit that struggle, um, and to not flip out when you hit it and to try to embrace it, be present, um, be grateful for the struggle because like really good things are, are percolating in that moment. So I try to harness that when I'm freaking out and I have six machines on somebody and they don't feel stoned and they don't feel smushed and nothing's getting better, um, to press pause on all of them and try to just be like, okay, well, it's not any of these frequencies, but I still have all of these. And where do I go? And that's when I start texting Carol (laughs) from the bathroom crying.
1: I've I've called in a lot of lifelines to Carol and George and Dave and lots of people.
0: Yeah. I, I think, um, FSM teaches us so much humility, right? You don't have to have it, um, figured out today. And, you know, uh, Carol does such a great job teaching us and having that moment of like, don't panic. When on earth did you ever have to know this stuff? Or when on earth did you ever think you would have to know this in your profession? Because we you know, if you've ever been to a core class and you're just sitting around and looking at all the people and you'll see a veterinarian and a pharmacist and a surgeon and a massage therapist and an acupuncturist and a PT and a car, so many people's different professions all joining the same perception of how FSM can help them and, and their patients. It's a profound feeling, um, I think, when you when you see just how useful this tool can be in so many people's everyday usage. Do you have a favorite patient? Do you have a favorite case that either infuriated you um, or just brought you so much joy? There was so much success. I know we're almost running out of time, but there's always room for these stories.
1: Oh boy. Um, So lots and lots and lots of failures. Um, And I think it it's a good reminder to not get ahead of yourself. I've by no means solving every case. Um, you know, I think when listening to the podcast and kind of hearing Carol say about, you know, let's start with not making anybody worse. And I think that's a good (laughs) feel like, okay, that that's a good reminder. Um, (laughs) and, um, but I, I think I definitely have a couple patients who are, long-term patients that I've treated for many years that I um, treated first in Cleveland and have seen here a number of times. Um, And I think the patients, I I think my favorite patients are people that I've been able to work with. And, you know, I started working with them in high school and now I'm getting to see what they've been able to accomplish, not because of what I'm doing, just watching them grow and develop and kind of be these really neat people. Um, you know, it's almost like extra family. You know, and I think for a lot of people, our patients are kind of like distant cousins or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you have your, um, But I, I love seeing what, how creative they are and what kind of things they've been able to accomplish. Not necessarily because of my involvement at all, but just, um, so maybe not one specific person, but I think I'm definitely inspired by the people that I work with and kind of what they've overcome to get to where they are. I think that's um, definitely yeah.
0: we, we do develop, I think, much closer intimate relationships working with FSM with our patients. That's such a gift that we get to um, to share that with a patient, because I, I don't know if any other modality that you develop that connection. And Dr. Mm-hmm. McMakin had this, um, tear jerking moment at the advance where she had read, I, I think, I think she had had titled it, what I didn't tell you. And she does such a great job at teaching us don't make them worse and don't run 13 in the first six weeks and don't run 81 here. But you know, and, and you know, you go home on the airplane, you're like, Hey, don't run this, don't run that. Um, but the joy and those experiences and seeing people um, yeah, just kind of unfold before your eyes into whatever they're going to do is something that I don't think we're prepared for as practitioners sometimes. And it it is, it's such a profound um, emotion. It's such a um, profound thing to experience, I think, with people. Um, Do you think there is a common trait that we as FSM practitioners um, all embody or share? Or do you, um, for those people who are thinking of getting into FSM, if you could Say, you know, if you could have these types of characteristics, you will do well with that.
1: I feel like um, empathy. And I know that may sound generic, but I feel like if you are a person that really wants to spend more time with your patients and be able to understand them at a deeper level and what's happening with their condition. Um, and I think that that's been the biggest blessing for me is to really be able to sort of challenge myself and my own diagnoses or misdiagnoses, right? You know, cause you're like, I'm sure it's this and you're like, no, it's not at all. <laughs> um, so I, I think for people that are interested in it, being able to really delve in and get closer with your patients um, and be able to help them at a different level. Um, I think probably the other trait I would think of is patience Um, because this is, I mean, it's amazing how quickly you see changes with this, but it does take time just like a home exercise program or going to see a counselor or going to see a physical or occupational or speech therapist it you know it takes time to see results um, but I, I, so I, I think those are probably my two if you have if you have some both of those traits, I think that's a good start for wanting to get into FSM.
0: I would agree. Um, if you're in it for the money and to see, you know, 200 patients a day, not, not the best modality for you, (laughs) but there's always a way to incorporate it into your practice. Um, leaf is, um, our regular on our podcast and he literally types things about, 20 milliseconds before I can say them so he's been writing here on the chat opened minds or minds that can be opened and and I would agree you'd kind of said that if you're very rigid in your thinking um I don't think this is um I don't think you will do well with this because you do have to start with the hypothesis and then um I'm just like hey prove me wrong precision care prove me wrong patient because you have to be flexible and um Adaptable, and I think those are two two qualities that we as humans could probably (laughs) use a little bit more of.
1: of
0: Right, you know, with the empathy, Um, and you're right the 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 patience that it takes to um, just sit with something, right? And I I think we're we're in this um, society where it's go go go. We're eating in our cars. We're dropping kids off. We're here and there, and um, I love going to work and having a hypothesis and having a plan and setting my patient up and just having my hands on them and just taking a breath and just being like, okay, I'm going to be open what's happening here. And just, you know, slowing everything down, um, is I think that's what FSM has taught me just slow down. Um, it's there if you're, if you're listening to it and you're open enough to, to hear it so uh, we always end the podcast or actually we don't this has been a new thing we've been ending it with a quote or a good story you've given us a couple good quotes already oh yeah i do got you have, ahead of do you, do you have another <laughs> good one
1: <laughs> um
0: i like the ones that you gave us though so.
1: oh yeah um so let's think of ones that are appropriate for uh <laughs> you know. um i there was a edison quote i think it said um there are no rules, we're trying to accomplish something. (laughs) That
0: is, that is perfect. I feel like we do blur the lines all the time. Um, My kids are going to kill me. They listen to the podcast and um, the quote that I'm going to use is when they, it's their high school um, quote. So they're like, mom, we hear this like 400 times every single day. Do you have to use it? But I think it's perfect. And I think it kind of Um, ties the end of our podcast and it was from St. Francis de Sales and it says be who you are and be that well and I try to I've been you know in my field for over 20 years now and I've really come back to just being really proud of my hands Um, I've got really good strong manual therapy skills and there's nothing wrong with being a really great manual therapist so because we have so many options, I feel sometimes as practitioners, we can get lost and we're trying to incorporate all these other tools because we have this amazing tool that has so many options. But, you know, if you are an extremely good physical therapist, chiropractor, physiatrist, be that, that's, that's your path and take FSM and incorporate that and complement that um, into your path. And I think you're going to do great with it.
1: That's great. That's a great one.
0: Thanks teenagers for telling me. I know we all learn a lot from
1: our teenagers. (laughs) I've got three myself. So,
0: right. And thank you so much for coming today. Oh, this
1: was so much fun. Thanks for having me here. We'll Uh, have you um, again.
0: We'll have like a big gang of us um, and we can all chat when Carol's back, but I had to make her proud. I had to start off um, my first series of podcasts all alone. With someone like yourself, so um, again, thank you this so much for joining. Yeah, we'll we'll have you on again. I'm sure our um, people will have questions. If you have more questions for Ben or anything um, relatable that you weren't able to, um, ask today at the podcast, you can still email it on the jot form at frequency specific.com. You can email me at Kim at frequency specific or Kim at FSM sports, or any other way you can get our questions to us. And we'll pass that over to Dr. Ben Cotholi. And thank you again so much. Thanks yeah, everybody thank you for you joining us. Keep coming for the month of June and see all my surprise guests that I'm going to be bringing on. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody.
1: All right. Take care. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations.